Did that work? It did. Sometimes when you come up here, there's so much you, wow, just want to say. You know, in that last song, it says, you know, in spirit and in truth. And the Word says that God is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. I don't know about you, but there's so many times I come to worship. Not so many, but there are times that I come to worship. And but I don't know if there's a lot of truth behind it. To get there, we have to press in. Is my life lining up with what the Word says? Am I worshiping Him truly in spirit and in truth? So sometimes, not sometimes, all the time, we need to be looking at these words, thinking about it. Um, I know that, that there's a style of music. We're going to just take a quick segue. Style of music, and sometimes these songs might seem wordy to you. And, oh, I can't sing them very well. And I've, I've heard that. And I, I've been chuckling to myself because 20 years ago, I used to say that about the hymns. When I first got saved, I never sang hymns. So I'd go to the churches and they would, some churches would sing hymns and I couldn't follow it. Look in the book and try to follow the bouncing ball. And boy, those hymns had a lot of words and they were hard to sing. And here we are again another time in a different type of style. But what I chose to do then, and I encourage you to do it, if you, if you can't sing along well with the song, it's too new, it's too wordy, don't sing, read. Just read the words and make it, if it's a prayer, make it a prayer. If it's a proclamation, make it a proclamation. If it's just teaching doctrine or truth, read it and let it examine your heart as you would just read those words. Eventually, the tunes will come and you'll get better at singing them. I got in, in Oakdale when I was the associate pastor there. They did hymns when I arrived a lot and my, one of my jobs was to help transition them from uh, into contemporary music and uh you know sitting at a board meeting talking to the 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 board and the elders there i says you know i i think i know about four or five hymns and they all laughed at me they thought i was joking i said that's the truth i know about four or five but over the course of four years i learned a lot and and i now enjoy singing them the uh, joy will come in that. So I will encourage you in the worship to enter in, however it might be, if you just read it, just to, to set your heart, set your mind, and begin to worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Lord Jesus, I thank you, God, for another opportunity to gather together as the body of Christ. Pray that these words would be anointed. Let them be your words, God. Let the principles be your principles, God. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, open up our hearts to receive the word. God, I pray that you would challenge us. God, and that we would receive the challenge. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to take you on a little journey that I'm going through presently and have been for a while. I'm just beginning to get some clarity in it. And so some of the things I'll talk about today are part of my journey. It's not going to be a complete picture. I realized that last night. There's so much more I'd like to say about this subject. But it's a journey that God is bringing us back to and has been for a while. And here's just another little piece of it. Long gone for most of us is the corner store in the neighborhood deli. Places walking distance from your house that you would frequent. Did you catch that? The word frequent. That means often. You would walk past your neighbor's house to local butcher often. Then, maybe off to the store and home again. 
Meanwhile, during those trips, you would run into your neighbors doing the exact same thing at the stores. You would talk to them for a while. They'd tell you how their family was. Then they might tell you, hey, I saw your kids today over at the park, or maybe I saw your kids running up the alley with the bad kids. You better keep an eye on them. On the way home, you would be walking and you'd see the neighbor who's sitting on their front porch because it was much cooler outside where the breeze could hit you than it was inside. And you would say hi. You actually might stop. You knew their name. You would chat with them for a while. On Sunday, you would go and see many of these same neighbors at the local church where approximately 30% of the people in your neighborhood attended the same church. While there, maybe Jim and Carol from across the street would say, hey, why don't you come over after church today? We're going to have a barbecue. We're just going to throw some hot dogs on. Bring the kids. We'll have a good time. Today, instead, we get up in the morning. We check the news headlines on our, on our phones, on the Internet, or on the TV. We jump into the car without ever going out to see the neighborhood. Sometimes the car's parked right in our own garage, so we don't even have to leave the house. We drive out and we go, and on the way to work, we run through the drive through at Starbucks, where we get a quick cup of coffee, and we go to work for eight to ten hours. We rush home just in time to heat a prefab dinner up, because we don't have time to cook something from scratch. And we know that right after dinner, we have to run one of the kids to baseball, or to basketball, or to gymnastics, or to the academic decathlon. On Wednesday night after work, you do a really quick dinner. You rush off to your cell group. At least you used to, but now you only go once or twice a month. You know, we're really busy, but I do like coming, you tell your leader. But you don't even know if that's the truth. Sure, you used to like going, but now it's a lot of work and you still feel pretty lonely. On the weekend, you head off to Costco for big shopping. Maybe hit Winco and Target too. But you never see anyone you know because the stores you shop at are 40 miles away from your home. With the same feeling of loneliness. You turn on your computer and go to Facebook to see what your friends are up to. There's some satisfaction there. But honestly, do your friends really care what's on your mind? Maybe you log into World of Warcraft and chat while you work together to complete a common task as you do that. Now, some of you I know are sitting in here going, that Facebook stuff, that Internet stuff, oh, that's just so silly. But I'd ask you, when was the last time you missed your favorite soap opera? You missed an episode or a rerun of Cheers or Seinfeld or even Survivor. See, all of those shows and many more today have something in common. They depict something that's lacking in our lives. They depict community. Community is such a deep part of our need today. It's such a need that if we don't have our own community, we'll actually live vicariously through someone else's community, even if it's not real. One sociologist says that community is simply a group of interacting organisms sharing an environment. Another sociologist says a human community is a set of interactions, human behaviors that have meaning and expectation between its members. Not just action, but actions based on shared expectations, values, beliefs, and meanings between individuals. Other things that exist in some human communities have to include intent, belief, resources, preferences, needs, 
risks, and goals. Those are more human communities. Though there are communities simply where different living organisms simply share an environment. Today I want to give you a simple definition of a biblical community. Because a biblical community is different than all the others. And we could define it in lots of ways. And I'm not saying this is the only way to do it. But this is the way that I want to define it today. So we kind of have a common knowledge and a common goal, a common thing we're building on today. And it is simply this. A biblical community is a connected group of people who share faith in Jesus Christ and a desire to grow spiritually with the common mission of seeing individuals fully developing into followers of Christ. It's wordy, isn't it? I know, it's, it's on the website. A biblical community is a connected group of people who share faith in Jesus Christ and a desire to grow spiritually. That's their commonality. With the common mission of seeing individuals fully developing into followers of Christ. There's a mission. There's a goal that they share. And that would others would not just be saved but that they would be growing and developing into followers of Christ. You know, I didn't use the word developed because I don't ever want to make us think that we actually stop. We just continue to develop. We continue to grow. That's what I want to share as a biblical community today. Now, there's a lot of communities that people are a part of in the world. Some are counterfeit. Facebook is somewhat of a counterfeit community. But there's also just communities that lack something. They lack substance. They lack something from making us feel whole. One, one community is simply the community in which we live. We live in Big Bear. It's a community. Some of you have lived in this community a long time. We use the word often. There's community banks and community markets. We also now, because of ease of travel and the Internet, we live in a global community. You know, I talked about World of Warcraft and Facebook. I've got people I know that play you know, online gaming and they're, they're playing this game's World of Warcraft with people who live in the Netherlands and people who live in Russia and, and they're talking as best as they can, I guess, over the Internet. They live in a global community. There's cyber communities where everything happens online. So many more than we've heard about. There are so many cyber or computer communities that people live in. Facebook being one of them. MySpace being another. And people on MySpace, they put whatever face, foot forward they want. It's, it's, very, uh, it's a very interesting community. I got involved in it as a youth pastor. See, if I don't have any youth in here, I'll tell you why every youth pastor should be on Facebook. Because the youth are just dumb enough to actually put what they did over the weekend on MySpace. I would go up in a meeting and say, so how was the party? How did you know? I mean, you know, they're posting everything about them. They live their lives in a community that's open to the world. You might be part of a soccer mom community. The soccer mom community or the soccer dad community where you drive your kids to the game or to the practice, you get out and you chat with the other parents that are waiting there with their kids. That's a community. There's relationship. You have commonalities of your kids playing sports and maybe winning. It's a real community. You have your work community. You know that that's a community. It goes beyond just punching in. You have relationships on a certain level. It's a community where you work. You may be part of a community of climbers. Maybe you like to rock climb. And, and if you do something like that, you know there's a community that's involved in that or snowboarders. 
even quilters. You might be part of a community of quilters. In, in Oakdale, we had the Quilters Club. They met every Tuesday at the church and they've been quilting for 60 years. Not the same people. <laughs> Actually, there's a few who have been quilting that long in the same community. But the Quilters Group, is it's a community and it used to be their grandparents and then their parents. They might have even been go- going longer than that. And, then, and now, it's, now it's these ladies. Communities oftentimes live before you join it and will be there long after you're gone. A community is not just defined by an individual. It's what makes a whole bunch of people living together. There's a certain life. It has characteristics of, of life. We have a store here. It's called Community Market. Community Market, you, everyone used to shop there that lived right around the area. But now we don't because it's too expensive. It has instead turned from a community market into a convenience store. It's more convenient to shop there than to drive to Stater Brothers or Vons, but you're going to pay for it. In its day, it was the local market for people who lived in Big Bear City who needed groceries. When I was young, I used to walk down to Eminger's. Date yourself. Who remembers Eminger's Market? It's a little store right where Taco Bell is right now, right on the corner. It was a grocery store. And it was the local market. There was that in the old Safeway. If you've ever been to Calvary Chapel and you stand about in the middle of the, of the sanctuary, you're in aisle nine. <laughs> you live in a community. Everybody does. We live in this community. And that's the point. We belong to multiple, multiple communities. Out of that list, you might say, yeah, I'm part of that. And you know what? None of those communities are bad in themselves. They're just a community. But of all of our communities that we live in or should live in, which is most beneficial? That's what we need to determine. Which community is the best for us? And once we determine that, which community is the best and most beneficial to us, we need to find out how we can lift that community up and give it preeminence in our life. We have to figure out how to give that community preeminence in our life. I believe that community really began to die around World War II. A lot of sociologists will say the same thing. People used to live mostly in in the inner cities, in big areas. After World War II, suburbs began to pop up. And people wanted to get out of the busyness and the bigness. So they would move out and they would build Homes that were more separated from other people. Notice the difference between a suburb and the city dwelling. In the city, the homes sit right on the streets. There's not a lot of room. You walk out your, your door, you don't have much of a yard. The city or the community is your yard. You know your neighbors because you have to. You walk up and down the streets and all the stores were within walking distance. If you go into a lot of towns, in, into the city like New York, and go into areas like Flatbush they're still living very much in community. They're house upon house. But in the, in the 40s, 50s, they began to build houses out in the suburbs. They wanted their privacy. And so they began to build their houses further off the street with big backyards. And then they built six-foot fences to keep everybody else out and become private. Now, we don't live there. We don't live in the suburbs. Suburbs have their definite own problem of not being able to live in community because of the way they've orchestrated themselves. But we have something even different that's also difficult. It's rural. 
on your street, you might only have two or three neighbors that live there anyways. Because it's Big Bear. It's talking about that in our street. You know, we got two neighbors that live across the street. Everyone else is weekenders up the street. The house right behind us is, is weekenders. We don't get to know them. We, we know a few of our neighbors. We're rural. In, the, in this community, though, in the past, you would go to Eminger's or Safeway and you would see everyone you knew and they would know you and you would talk there. There was a different sense of community. Now in this city, that sense of community is much... It's, it's gone away for the most part. When I moved back here, after seven years of being away, I love to go shopping. My wife hates when I go shopping. She'll even say sometimes, please don't talk to anybody. <laughs> Because I like to talk to people and I think I know everyone. And because it's been so long since I've seen them, I'll often say, do I know you? You look for me because I want to know them. See, I'm, I'm, I want that community. But I was walk, as I walk through the stores now, I don't know as many people anymore. My community is dissolving. But it's so important to be in a community specifically a biblical community, we have to recognize the things that are hindering us from living in biblical community. Because many of us are trying, but we haven't succeeded. Maybe you aren't even trying. Maybe you don't even know that you should. Because it began to change in the 50s, community, many of us don't even understand community. You are in it, you just don't know about it. You're constantly in a community somewhere. Living it. And, and there's some satisfaction there. And that's why you continue to go back to the places that you go to. You know, the bar is an amazing community. It's a community. You, you know, people there, they have common goals to get drunk. Or, no, but, but sometimes the common goal is not even that. The common goal is to see somebody you know and talk. But you talk over the alcohol. You get together. You know each other. You know what's going on. Hmm, yeah, sometimes you got to go where everybody knows your name. <laughs> so we've got, we've got these, you know, and it's, it's fun. I, I bring those things up because we, we watch the shows. Many of us watch one of those shows and they become part of your life. We have hindrances, though, to entering into a biblical community. A biblical community is built on something greater than simply having kids in soccer. Built simp- greater on simply that you went to high school together. I've got over 300 friends on my Facebook. So I'm not opposed to it. And I know all of them. I know all of them. And we have relationship. Most of it's this deep. Many of it is relationship that I had with them over 20 years ago when I was in high school. And we have common, we have common memories. And so we'll chat or we'll, you know, we'll, we'll post something. If, you know, maybe what, you know that you grew up in Big Bear if, and then you follow that. That was a fun one. Yeah. You know, I put on there, if you remember listening to Vern on KBBV and KTOT radio, wondering if school was going to be canceled. <laughs> yeah. The weather is windy. <laughs> So, you know, I've got over 300 friends and, and I, I know them in some way or another, but that's, that's a community, but it's lacking for me. In fact, often what happens is, is it's so lacking that you begin to try to build back relationships that you used to have and stir things up when really that's not the community you should be focusing on. 
It's a community to be a part of, maybe, but it's not the community to focus on. But it's easier than focusing on biblical community because we have a lot of things that hinder us from entering into what God has for us. We're created for community. God continually has set us up in groups of people from the very beginning, the very foundation. And for those in, in, in my cell, I apologize. We talked a lot about this already on Wednesday night, and it stirred us up. It stirred me up to just continue to think about this thing called community. But I, I was thinking about Abraham. I was thinking about all of the, the patriarchs, but Abraham, he began to have kids and people in his household, and they traveled everywhere. They were nomads. They would wander and go until finally God put them where they wanted to go. And, and at one time, his community got so big that he had to talk with, his, with Lot and say, you know what, we're too big to be together anymore. We need to separate our communities. And Lot went one way, and Abraham went another. They lived in community. Isaac, Jacob, Joseph. We see then the beginning of the 12 tribes that God orchestrated Keeping people together in community. God always wanted people to live together in community. And then He would break them down into smaller groups because He knew that there was commonality. They had a common goal. In fact, God was very specific. He says, listen, you have a community and you can't let anybody disrupt your community. I'm giving you biblical community, godly community. So when people come in, don't marry with them. They're going to disrupt Godly community. Don't have things to do outside, inside of your community. Don't let them in. Because they might corrupt it. Now today, Jesus, He says the same thing, but He changes it. He says, go into the world and make disciples. When those people get saved, they become part of the biblical community and they have those things in common. It's not that we're supposed to stay isolated from the world, but there's a biblical community that we need to be more attached to than we are the extra-biblical, the outside of godliness. We need to be more connected together than we are with the soccer moms and the Facebook communities and the work communities. It's not about not being part of theirs, but it's about being more a part of this. Does that make sense? Amen. God created us for community, and we have a lot of hindrances. The first big hindrance to living in community, simply for us, is North American culture. This culture doesn't promote living in community. It promotes living by yourself. It promotes doing all the things, really, that are, that are contrary to community. Yet within this culture, we're constantly trying to come back and find each other and find commonality and friendship. In North American culture, it's get ahead at whatever cost. Protect your assets. Build a big fence. Build a big pool. Don't let the neighbors swim in your pool because they might sue you and you might lose everything. It's true. In North American, we honor the golden rule. He who has the gold rules. Another version of the golden rule for the United States is do unto others before they do unto you. That's what we live in. Revelation 18.4 talks about culture. Now, culture in itself isn't bad. There is a lot of things in our culture that are God-ordained, God-blessed. But living in, living in community is not one of them. 
So to that, when you find something in, your, in the culture that is wrong, you need to follow Revelation 18.4 that says, I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues. Whenever you live in any type of culture, whenever you live, period, you need to continually look at your life, look at the things surrounding you and saying, does this line up with the Word of God? Am I doing things that are okay? Am I doing things that are biblical? Or do I need to come out from her and be separate? Otherwise, share in her sin. Another hindrance to living in community is busyness. Not business, but busyness. We're so busy running to and from that we don't have time for real community. We don't really get to connect. Community, biblical community doesn't just happen once a month. It can't. Remember, if we're thinking of community the way it used to be, daily you would go and you would see your neighbors. There's a continual interaction with a group of people that you have the common interests with. Busyness is a killer to community. Materialism. Go to 1 John 2.15. We are definitely the most materialistic nation on earth. Now, many people use their material goods for the kingdom of God. <coughs> Praise the Lord for that. Having material things is not wrong. Being materialistic is. 1 John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't love the world. It's okay to have things, but don't let things have you. Materialism keeps us from community because we want so much more. I have to work harder and longer to be able to afford it. And then once I buy it, I want to go play with it. And I don't want you to come because you might ruin it. I actually was invited to go uh, skiing, water skiing with a friend once. And I was excited because I'd never been water skiing. And he took me so that I could drive the boat or hold the flag and never let me get in the water. Now, I don't know if it was because he was materialistic or not. But sometimes we get so trapped up, we almost live like that. We have so much. We forget about those who maybe would enjoy watching the game on our 90-inch TV. If you've got a big TV in there and nobody ever comes to watch it with you, get rid of it. Come on, right? We've got things. Let's use them. Let's let others benefit from that, those things that we have. Fear. Well, another reason that we don't enter into community is because of fear. We're afraid that people really might begin to get to know us and find out that I'm not as good as I want you to think I am. I don't have it together. And if I enter into community, you're going to find out about me. The truth will slowly come out. We're going to spend enough time together that you see, might find that occasionally I yell at my kids and don't treat my wife as good as I should. So we're afraid to show our true colors. 
That's why online communities are the most preferred because you can be anything you want. Anything you want. Something that this culture definitely promotes that hinders us from community is pride. Go to Romans 12.3. Pride. Which goes into the next one. Pride would say, I don't need anybody else. That community stuff, that's for other people. I don't need you. I can do it. If you force me to go to community... I'll go because they need me over there. We have pride. We don't want to truly enter in. Romans 12.3 says, For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, that's us, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Let's be real. You're not as good as you think you are. Because I'm not. No one is. If that's an issue and you're, we're not as good, if that's a pride thing. Now, there's some of you who I'd, I'd like to say, for some of you, you're better than you think you are. Not all of us have that same thing of pride, but pride will keep some from entering into community. Uh, individualism, 1 Corinthians 6.19. Just a few pages over to the right. Individualism definitely hinders us because we become individuals. We're just, it's about us. In fact, it was John, uh, Pastor Frazee, Randy Frazee, who said, today's church is not a community, but rather a collection of individuals. Today's church isn't a community, but rather it's a, co- a collection of individuals. Where individuals come, we gather together, we worship, we do our things, and we go and we leave, and we're not in community. We're not real. We're doing, we put on our faces. It's, you know, it's really fun. One of these days, I'm going to put microphones on the trees outside that pick up really good to listen to all the people who come into the, into the church fighting, you know. <laughs> So they get in there and they finish up their fight in the car and then they open up the door and it's amazing. There's, there's something connected to the door. The door opens and the smile goes on. And we come in and we, we pretend everything's good. It's not always good. You try to get four wriggling young children ready for church and be on time. It's not always easy. But we come together and we pretend we're, we're, we're individuals when we get here. One of the biggest problems I believe in society in general is that we're individualistic. Things happen in society that bring us together. 9-11 brought people, individuals together. It was amazing what was happening. People were flying their flags. They'd go out and they'd talk to people they'd never talked to. The earthquake in 1991, so 92, 91, 91, right? That brought people together. Because they couldn't sleep in their homes anymore. There were some were sleeping in their backyards, front yards, in the park. And individuals began to form a community. But once we felt safe, we went back into our houses and the community died. We need to get over our individualism. We are the me generation. The me. It's all about me. I want to get ahead. How can I do things to get me ahead? Oh, I love that country song. I want to talk about me, don't want to talk about you. 
That's a great song. <laughs> it's just, it's so true of, of so many. We're the me generation. The problem is, the church is a we organization. We're a me generation trying to fit into a, a we organization. We need to begin to work on that individualism and begin to come in unity. God talks to us. He doesn't call us individually, but He calls us the army of the Lord. He calls us the body of Christ. We're the people of God. We're the children of God. We're a holy nation. We're a priesthood. All of those terms connect us together, but they connect us to something higher and above ourselves. We're joined together in something common, connected to something that's greater than ourselves. We must stop living as individuals and come back together with common beliefs and common goals and begin to work together, begin to form a biblical community. Otherwise, we'll find ourselves just like the Israelites. In Deuteronomy 12.8, Deuteronomy 12.8 says, You shall not at all do as we are doing here today. Every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. When we do things, do we think about how it will affect others? We're really taught not to. Literally, at times, parents and teachers are teaching us to just think about how it's going to affect you. In Judges, which I believe the whole, the whole theme of Judges is summed up in two verses that are identical. Judges 17.6 and Judges 21-25. In, in those days, there was no king in Israel. A king was the thing that brought them all together in commonality. It says, In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. We don't want to live like that. Just judging our actions according to whether it's right in my own eyes. Even in the church today, you hear it spoken out. Oh, that's interesting you believe that. I don't really believe that, but that's good for you. We'll make up our own doctrine within the church. And we don't even know if it's okay to question other people on what they believe. Christianity is kind of an individual religion. You know, there's a, a lot of wiggle room. Hmm. We need to come back together under the authority of the Bible. Not be individuals. Because Proverbs 12.15 says, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Come together in counsel. <coughs> come together in community. And you'll receive counsel. You'll become wise. Often, I have a lot of thoughts, I have a lot of ideas, and most of them aren't good. But I don't understand the problems with them, the deficiencies in them, until I get together with somebody else and share. Sometimes all I have to do is talk out loud about it to somebody else. And in the moment I do that, I go, that's not going to work. That's not the best idea. Other times people come and challenge me and say, are you sure that's a good idea? And I say, well, I thought it was. But obviously, you don't think it is. So tell me what's wrong with my plan. And we can talk. Community. Let's not do what's right in our own eyes. Hallelujah, Lord.
you know, I, I don't want to, you know, I, I'm, I'm the heavy guy sometimes. I know some of us, are, we're trying. Some of you are really trying to live in community. And I believe we're kind of living in a social experiment because community is countercultural. So this isn't something I've got figured out yet. I even had conversations with my wife over these last few days of really, really thinking about this, going, you know, this can alter our lives. Because mm-hmm. we've got things that we, we do, that we spend time, that we press into. If this is a biblical principle that He wants us to embrace, lift up living in biblical community, then there's a good chance that I have things in my life that are going to need to change. And I don't know if I'm ready for that. It's an experiment in understanding how this is going to come about. There's books out there about it. I'm reading a great one. But I love it because he says, we've just been doing this in our church for a few years. It's, it's changing them. But the idea of trying to enter back into something that we have never truly experienced There's really no map. There's just some suggestions. But I'm excited and willing to take the journey. Kicking a little bit, screaming sometimes. I want to take the journey. Because there's steps that we have to take to get into community. It's not going to happen naturally. Community community doesn't come knocking on your door and drag you out and says, be a part of me. That community, there is people who definitely live in community much more than, than we do. You know, I think, I think of the military. Going through boot camp. It's community. There's a lot of people who experience community in a deeper way. But they never drag in people who don't want to be part of it. You have to make a choice to say, I'm going to do this. And it could change the way you live. So some steps that we need to take to get into community, I believe that we need to reevaluate where we spend our time. Because community takes time. And we're so busy, we don't have time for it. So we need to reevaluate what we're currently doing with our time. How much time do you need to spend in the soccer mom community? How much time in the quilter community? Reevaluate where we spend our time. It goes right into challenging. The second thing is we have to challenge patterns and challenge culture. We do what we do because we do it. We weren't taught to live this way. We just kind of do it. Ask a fish to describe water. We just live. Today I'm challenging us to reevaluate and to, to think. What is it that we're doing? Is this really healthy for me? Challenge the patterns. Romans 12.2. Romans 12.2. We were at 12.3 a moment ago. Romans 12.2. Back up a verse from that. says, Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. See, we're all adults in here. We can think. Let our mind renewed. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, His pleasing, and His perfect will. Let's not conform to just patterns anymore. Let's challenge things. Let's be transformed. Let our minds be renewed. And says, you know, I don't want to do this same thing. You know, so many people live their life and on their deathbed find that they're so lonely because the pursuits that they took did not ever bring them into community, even with their own family. Mm 
See, family is a part of the community. So challenge the patterns in culture. Reevaluate where you spend your time. The third one is make little changes. You just might have to make some little changes in certain areas. Exodus 23.30 talks about that. Little by little drive out the nations. Just a little, at the t- a little at a time. Make a little change here and a little change there. Otherwise, if you try to change too much at once, you might not succeed. Make little changes in your life to help you get into community. Does your child have to play every sport? Do your hobbies promote family, community, and biblical community? Hobbies are great. A little change might simply be, I'm going to make, I'm going to make my hobbies be family hobbies. I'm going to make my, family, my hobbies be community hobbies. On Wednesday, see, I'm, I'm saying this out loud, so it's going to hold us. On Wednesday, we decided we're going to go down and, and spend a night or two in Joshua Tree as a cell group in the spring once it warms up a little bit. And we're going to go rock climbing. At least some of us will go rock climbing. I'll probably go rock falling. and you know, But we're going to go down and experience community. <laughs> we're going to go down and just have some fun. Take a hobby that I actually am really interested in getting, getting into having it become a family thing and getting involved in my biblical community to where we can have life together with people who have common goals and serving the Lord. So you make little changes. The fourth one is you might have to make a big change. You might have to make a difficult decision. In 1 John 3.10, simply it says, do what is right. You might have to make a big decision in your life to say, you know what, this is not right. This is holding me back from living in biblical community and I can't make a little change here. I have to make a big change. It might be something of a big sin you need to come out of. It might be something else. Some of the things that I wrote down is, is your job too far away for you to actually enter into biblical community? You may have to change your job. Is it that important to live in community with God's people? You have to decide what the Bible says. See, you don't just get to decide on your own. You decide with God. Is this that important that I need to quit that job and come closer? Do you ha- is your house too big? Is your house too big to enter into biblical community? In other words, you've got to work so hard to pay for your house that you don't have any time left over to live there. It's amazing. I, I was uh, Oakdale was really a suburb, and it was amazing the size of the houses. And many people commuted a hundred miles from Oakdale into the San Francisco area, or maybe just sixty miles every day. And uh, I mean, you know, and the freeways were just packed, right? If you've ever done the commute on the, you know how packed the freeways are. So if you think it, you eight hours of work and an hour and a half commute each way. That's eleven hours. A day you're spent outside of this four or five bedroom home. How much do you really enjoy that home? Do you have to make a big change and say, we don't need it? For some of you, maybe you have to say, do we really need two incomes? Do we need two incomes? Can we get by on one to promote biblical community? Because if you think about it often, if you have two 
two families working, two spouses working, you both get home at five or six at night, then you have to begin to make the meals and work with the kids on their homework and your whole evening is gone. But if only one of you worked, the other could have those things done by the time you got home and at six o'clock you could dine together and say, let's go, let's have community with our neighbors, let's do something as a family and not pursue this. These don't apply to everyone. Where do you fit? Is the boat that important? Is the cable that important? You know, we, we might be people in this room going, yeah, boat, I just dream about boats. I don't have a boat. I'll never have a boat. I don't have an RV. I don't have a boat. You know, that's, that's where I live. I had an old trailer. I had to sell it. Needed the money. So then the questions become, is cable that important? Yeah. <laughs> you know, are there things in your life that you says, you know what, I have to work just a little bit harder so I can have this luxury and that luxury. I'm going to scale back on those things so that I have a little more time. There's a lot of things you could ask yourself. And that's what it's about. Asking ourselves. We need to figure these things out. Those are just a few steps to, we can take to get into community or to get into community more than we are now. No message on community would be complete without Hebrews 10.25. Right? Guys, you, you help me out. Who knows this? Do not... That's right. Different versions were coming out. So you're, Don't forsake gathering together. Don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Listen to this. As the manner of some. In our culture, it's becoming the, ma- the, the manner of most. Most people are now not in community. Most Christians are not even in church today. So I want to applaud you. You are pressing into something already. Your desire is that you would live. There's something that happens when you come here. You're seeing the outskirts of community, but there's more to come. I want to encourage you to press in further because there's an experience I believe that we're going to re- receive, that we're going to walk in that's going to be better. It says, exhort one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. So often preachers like myself, we take that verse right out of there and we just nail it up there. And most of the time when we do it, we're talking about you better be in church on Sunday. The funny things is we preach that on Sunday to the people that are already in church on Sunday. And we tell them don't forsake being together and they're already here. Isn't that weird? But there's more. See, you have to go back when you read the Bible. Often go back a few verses back to see what's he talking about? Where is this put in the Bible? And during this section of Scripture, the whole point of it is that we don't have to sacrifice any longer. That Jesus made the sacrifice for us. That's what the verses prior to this are talking about. That we don't have to sacrifice. We, the, the Israelites don't have to go and sacrifice animals. Jesus was the great sacrifice once for all, it says. And then picking up in verse 19, going back a few verses, because Jesus sacrificed it for us, we don't have to sacrifice. It's important to know. The Bible simply says to obey is better than sacrifice. God is not calling us to sacrifice. When He calls us, He calls it because it's going to be better for us. He's not saying sacrifice these things. He's, he's, when He tells us to give something up, He's really saying it's not going to be a sacrifice in the long run. We don't have to sacrifice any longer. Jesus sacrificed it for us. Therefore, brethren, verse 19, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way which He consecrated for us through the veil that is His flesh. 
and having a high priest over the house of God. So all this stuff, Jesus paid the sacrifice for us. He's the great sacrifice. Therefore, we can have boldness to enter the holiest through the blood of Jesus by a new new way. And then starting in verse 22, there's three things He lays out for us. Because of this, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. The second thing he says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. He's calling us to hold fast that confession. Don't waver. Jesus is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He who promised is faithful, it says in verse 23. And the third thing it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much more as you see the day approaching. We must consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Doing that requires that we not forsake the assembling together. It's a package deal. It's not just about us. When we assemble ourselves together, it's not about us. If it's just about us, we're individuals again, coming saying, what can I get out of it? How many times have you walked out of a worship service and somebody says, how was the worship? He says, I I didn't get anything out of it. It's not about you. It's worship. The byproduct is that God does things in our lives. It's a byproduct. Worship is about Him. But we live so much in this me culture that if the music isn't pleasing to me, then it's not good. If it's out of tune, it's not good for me. And it's all about God. We want to bring those things to God and then we praise God. We get the byproducts of His blessings because He loves us. So when we get together, it's not about us going, what do I get out of community? It's that I get to stir people up and encourage them. But there's a byproduct. When I stir them up and encourage them, I get encouraged too. I get to live in community. The mandate is that we enter in so that we can help those outside of ourselves. Barna says in some of his research, 23% of the popu- of adults living in the States are unattached from church. They don't attend. They, they, they're unattached. And that simply means that in the last month they've not gone to church. They may have gone in, a year, in the last year, but they are not going regularly at all. And of those, 59% said they're Christians. 59% of that 23% are Christians and they're not attending fellowship together. And with those, in those people, they are more likely to feel stressed. They're less likely to be concerned about moral condition of the nation. They're much less likely to believe that they're making a positive difference in the world. They're less optimistic about the future. They're far less likely to believe that the Bible is totally accurate. They're substantially more likely to believe that Satan and the Holy Spirit are only symbolic figures and not real. They are more likely to believe that Jesus Christ sinned while He was on earth. They're much more likely to believe that the holy literature of the major faiths all teach the same principles. Let, they're less likely to believe that a person can be under demonic influence and they're more likely to describe their socio-political views as mostly liberal. People who are unattached, not meeting together, not even at the outskirts of community, they're stressed out. Their lives are not as good as ours. There's benefits that come when you begin to get into community. Ephesians four eleven and 12 We know this scripture, many of us. 
For it is God that has given some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. God gives puts some people in certain positions, these the fivefold, so that they, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. God's put in me the gift and calling an office of pastor for one reason, so that I can help you be perfected, not be perfect. The word perfect there simply means whole and complete. It's my job to come in here and kick you around a little bit and stir you up and help you to become complete. If I don't do that, I am not meeting what God called me to do. And that's to help you to get whole. Now, I love this next part, so that the work of the ministry can be done. People think this is the ministry. There's so much more ministry than this. There's so much ministry that you know of in your life that needs to be done. And our job is to help you accomplish that. It's to build you up. Then I, this next part is so important. It says, for the edifying of the body of Christ. The lights came on yesterday because I looked this up in the Greek. For those who were here last week, what is the word for household in the Greek? Oikos, right? Oikos. Oikos is the Greek word for household. or They would use it for family units or even small community. In the Greek, it says that we're there for, to perfect the saints for the work of ministry, for the edifying. Edifying is oikodomain or oikodomeo. Edifying means building together a household. We say edify. Our job is to build together a household. It's not just edifying one thing that goes up. It's edifying, building together into household, into community, the body of Christ. Wow. That's what we need to do. Because by yourself, you're not very edified. You can't do it on your own. Who's tried? I don't care how many sermons you listen to. You can't do it by yourself. You need other people. So we need to build together the body of Christ. I don't believe that we're fully living in what God has for us because He has so much more. One area that I believe for years that we've lacked, but we've danced around it, is this thing that we're calling community. We're created to live in community, specifically biblical, godly community, and we've abandoned that, many of us. And now He's drawing us back, saying, come back, I want you to experience community. Like any other area of our Christian experience we might be lacking in, if it was prayer, living by grace, or having joy, or peace, we need to be shown God's Word. If we're lacking anything, we need to be shown God's Word and begin to apply its principles. We need to repent. Remember, repent means to change your thinking about the way you used to think and agree with what God says. And when you do that, your actions will change. It's not just changing actions, it's changing your thinking. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind, the Word says. We need to agree with God and make the changes that's going to reflect how we believe we should live. Change our mind and begin to make those changes that will reflect what, what we believe we should live. So the question for you is, does God want you to grow through biblical community? Does God want those around you to grow through biblical community? So then the question 
The last question is this. What, with God's help and by His grace, will we do to help make that a reality? What will we do by God's grace and with God's help? What will we do to make, help make that a reality? Let's pray. God, I thank You that You have drawn us to Yourself. And You draw us into community continually. Father, forgive us for not heeding the call. God, forgive us for ignoring it. But Lord, today we pray for strength. God, give us strength that we might pursue this lacking part in our life. God, I thank you for giving me the the picture of the wheel with a chunk missing from it. It still rolls, but every time it gets to the missing chunk, it slows itself down. Never reaching the momentum that you desire. God, help us to be perfect, complete, not lacking anything. Draw us deeper into biblical community. God, we don't even understand exactly what that's going to look like. But help us begin to press in to those believers around us. Having common goals of serving and growing in you and helping others be perfected and grown into Christ followers. God, we desire to live fully for you. Show us the things that need to change. Give us your grace and your strength to act upon those. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. On our website, you find the pull-down menu for lighthouses. Click on that little article that says, What is a Lighthouse? You can find some additional information there that will support what you've heard this morning. And for those that are listening online, that would be something for you to click on right about now when you come to the end of the message. Okay? just want to get that on the recording. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Lighthouse leaders don't leave. Yeah. Lighthouse keepers were having lunch. Watch all your coaches today, you're watching. And so stick around. <laughs>